Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of, val- of more value than they? And can you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Oh. There are some passages of scripture. Thank you, sir that make you want to be gone and have somebody else preach them. (laughs) This is one of them. Because there is a sense in which we all will put God on trial today. How did you enter the sanctuary today? Did you enter the sanctuary today as a full-throated, full-bodied worshiper of the God who gives good gifts? Or are you normal? Or did you enter the sanctuary today like so many others around us? And not just in the sanctuary, right? Like so many, uh, the prohibitive majority of the people around us. Did you enter the sanctuary like those folks? Folks who are, in fact, anxious, worried whether or not there's enough. Enough what? I don't care. You fill in the blank. I mean, most of the time we're talking about enough stuff. But that's not all we're talking about. And here's what I mean when I say God's on trial. Oh, pardon me, miss. Uh, Here's what I mean when I say God's on trial. (laughs) Here's what I mean. We read the stories and we hear the voice with the capital V say to us that creation as it's created is good, good, And very good. We read the stories and recognize that throughout Scripture, God keeps showing up and providing. God keeps showing up in in real life, y'all. God shows up in real life. And when God shows up, God shows up giving good gifts. That stretches all the way into the New Testament. Then we see God in the face of Christ showing up and providing and giving and providing and giving. And we read those stories and sometimes we'll even make Christian noises like, "Mm, yes, I have, and here's what that means a lot of times, yes, yes, I have heard that story before. But whether or not that story actually has so gripped my heart that it actually shapes the way I live and more importantly, shapes my appetites as I live. Now that's a very different thing. 
So God's on trial in each of our hearts today because we've been given this very strange promise, and here's how it was said. If you'll seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, then all these things will be given to you as well. And we'll all kind of sit back in our seats and cross our arms and say, we'll see. We'll see. Part of the reason this is such a hard passage of scripture is because it's so incredibly personal for me. I, I come from a long line of warriors. <laughs> W-O-R-R-I-E-R-S. And it was my precious uh, grandmother, my mom's mom, who would call me every once in a while during the summer, during the warmer months, to make sure that we would wear coats when it got cold. (laughs) I watched worry... um, I watched worry and anxiety about the church confront my dad for years. Sometimes, he won't mind me saying this, if he was here, I'd say it, and he may someday say it himself to you, but some days, that anxiety about the church, about ministry, was debilitating. So I come by it honestly when... uh, when uh, I worry about where we're headed, will we have enough? In other words, what I'm saying to you is I'm confessing right out loud that sometimes your pastor struggles to honor and worship the God of abundance because I am so deeply convinced by the myth of scarcity. Anybody else? Some of you are honest. We gather today not just to give lip service to the king and the kingdom of abundance, but we gather every week to be reorganized against the myth of scarcity so that we can participate in the kingdom of abundance. But some of us, and sometimes it's me and sometimes it's you, some of us don't do that very well. It's a very interesting story. Uh, skip ahead for me, would you, Rodney, all the way. We've done the iceberg stuff quite a bit. I want to skip ahead to a story uh, that's out of the book of Joshua. So the people of Israel have been liberated from uh, Egyptian slavery and bondage. Been liberated, and, and they're finally out from underneath Pharaoh's thumb, and they're out in the wilderness. And God says to them, Look, creation is still good, good, and very good. And I am still trustworthy, God says to the people of Israel, the recently liberated slaves. In fact, if you'll trust me, I'll feed you and clothe you. Again, one of my very favorite parts of that whole wilderness wandering Exodus story is that is, is a part that's not told very often. Their shoes never wore out. They weren't just provided food and water obviously from Iraq, (laughs) food from the skies and quail, but their shoes, so their clothing never wore out. And God would say to them on a regular basis, if you'll just trust me, here's, here's the thing, if you'll just trust me, then you can then be my people. Yeah, that, that one stings, doesn't it? Let's act like God might say that to us today. Here's what it might sound like. If you'll just trust me, then you can be my people. Translates pretty well, doesn't it? (laughs) And so, in fact, though some of them doubt, though many of them doubt, and though they doubt and doubt and doubt, God continues to shepherd them and take care of them day at a time, two days if you're talking about the weekend, so that they could take the Sabbath off. Pause, button, pause. Um, how's your Sabbath going? You know, there's a, there is really a sense in which uh, the Sabbath is the point in the week where the people of God 
make a statement right out loud that's, that's counterintuitive, and here's the statement. I will not be productive for the workaday world today. I will not. If I miss that email and then miss the deal or miss the sale, so be it. But I will not allow that calendar, the business workaday calendar, to dictate my ethics. I will not allow that calendar to dictate my time, especially my sacred time. There's really a financial aspect that is undersold when it comes to that one commandment that has to do with Sabbath. The, the Sabbath commandment, you, you, it's one of the commandments, right? The Sabbath commandment, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, was a financial move that ends up being a religious move. God said, I will have a people who are not dictated by the bottom line and by profit margin. I will have a people who will develop the capacity to turn their backs on profit. Can you believe? Have you ever left money on the table? You're supposed to. You're supposed to. Oh, well, John, if I leave money on the table, I'm not gonna be tithing on it. You're probably, if you're that person, you're probably not tithing on it anyway. I mean, really. If your fingers are that sticky, I'm going to have trouble prying that dollar out of your hands anyway. No, we're supposed to be the people who work hard, absolutely, who work hard because that in and of itself is God glorifying. We work hard because it is God's glorifying. It is God glorifying. And in our working hard and then in the ways that we're able to support and nourish and encourage even financially around us, we help to form a better kind of creation, a better place to live, a better, better way to be alive. That all assumes, though, that you and I are living, or at least trying, at least making a good faith effort to live in a kingdom of abundance. By the way, at the very bottom, at the very basis of the kingdom of abundance is this belief that God is trustworthy, that God is faithful, and that God loves us. If we lose any of that, it makes all the sense in the world that we would jump ship and move from that kingdom to the kingdom of scarcity. And here's the thing about scarcity. If you are convinced by the myth of scarcity, but if you are convinced by the myth of scarcity, you are more likely to cause it. I'm telling you, John, there's not enough to go around. And look, let me show you. I'll prove it to you. I'm going to keep all this money to myself. And sure enough, see, because I've kept it to myself, there's not enough to go around. Oh, I've just offended some of you politically. Shoot. Oh, man. If your political ideology causes you to read Scripture in ways that don't sound like Jesus then you worship at the foot of your political ideology and you're just trying to squeeze Jesus in and you're an idolater. You can be Republican and be very Christian. You can be Democrat and be very Christian. Here's the thing that should bind us all together here. We believe that God loves us, that God is faithful and active in meaningful, tangible ways in life. That's pretty good, that's pretty good. When I talk politics, I get more amens. So, having wandered around in the wilderness for a long time, the people of God are about to enter into the promised land. God had promised them land. Now, this is a little ceremony, let's call it, right here before they all take uh, control of, take the... Um, this opportunity to, to inhabit the promised land, this is a little ceremony that happens. God says to them, I gave you a land on which you had not labored and towns that you had not built and you live in them and you eat the fruit of vineyards and olive yards that you did not plant. So put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. I was in a meeting not too long ago, 
and we were trying to determine what the theme would be for the next preaching conference. Every year, the seminary hosts a preaching conference, and um, there were voices around the room that wanted to make sure that the preaching conference had as its theme something that would uh, scare people into action. They, they kept saying things like, man, it's never been worse than it is today. Whew. I mean, just look around you. The, the, the creation has never been worse than it is today. Just look at the climate. Just look at all the diseases. Look at all the terrorism. Look at all the ugly stuff. It's never been worse. We must preach our people into this place of fear so that we can properly motivate. I think we can make an idol out of fear as well, and we can allow fear to dictate who we are and how we are when we show up. I didn't really have veto power in that room, <laughs> but I did speak up, and I feel like I was speaking up for you. And, and here's what I tried to say, and we'll see if it worked. I don't know yet if it worked. <laughs> I tried to say, isn't creation still good and good and very good? And isn't God still the God who loves us, who shows up faithfully and gives good gifts? Can't we, can't we talk about a kingdom of abundance? And can't we, by our preaching, push back against the myth of scarcity? Whether or not they do it, we're going to do it. But I need to say this to me, to us my household, and this household. Maybe more often than I do. You need to choose. You need to choose what kingdom you're going to be in. And not just in church, right? I love that we make decisions around these altars, but if the decisions are left at these altars, then you don't understand the decision you're making at this altar. Choose you this day how you're going to go about being alive. Choose you this day how you're going to go about being in business. <laughs> you cannot be one person at this altar and a different person in business. Choose you this day which kingdom you're going to serve in. The kingdom of abundance where we are constantly banking on the fact that God is reliable or the kingdom of scarcity, where we are constantly banking on the fact that there's not going to be enough, and so I've got to do what i got to do. Choose. We will move the kingdom ahead with folks who choose the kingdom. It's always been the case. You know why? Because God insists on it. God will move God's kingdom forward. Sometimes it will be in and through us, and sometimes it will be around us and despite us. So choose. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Jesus said it a little bit differently. Jesus said it like this in the Sermon on the Mount last week. You cannot serve both God and wealth. Mammon. Now, in Christian history, this terminology of mammon, actually, it got personified. <laughs> personified, and it became this ugly creature. It, it became a demonic sort of creature, and it either was characterized throughout Christian history in the artwork, it was either characterized as a big, ugly demon or a wolf, a wolf. It became its own giant story at the bottom of that iceberg that we talk about all the time, right? It came to be personified as its own religious system, its own system of theology, serving mammon. What church do you belong to? Either the church of God or the church of mammon. And here's the thing. If you are living out that story, if that is your life of worship, if you are living out the story of mammon, then you're going to have certain desires and appetites that will come out of that. Greed, avarice, which is the biblical way of saying lots of greed. <laughs> And out of that will come certain actions. And sometimes people from the first church of mammon go to church like this one. 
But what Jesus is saying to you is clear. What Jesus is saying to you is this. You can't actually be a member of both churches. You can't. You can't be a member of First Church of Mammon. What an ugly t-shirt that would be. The First Church of God. <laughs> Kingdom and abundance. Therefore, this is Jesus now trying to coax us into the right kingdom and out of the wrong one. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Now this word, is not life more important than food and the body more than clothing? Now here's this word worry. Now you need to understand what's being said. You also need to understand what's not being said here. What's being said here is, is about anxiety. Jesus is not suggesting that we should be careless Jesus is suggesting that we should be closer to carefree. The careless person says, oh, okay, here is my perfect opportunity to not ever work. Jesus said, Jesus said I didn't have to worry about what I was going to eat or drink or what I'm going to wear. No. In fact, what you'll find throughout Scripture is that God honors work, but God wants to make sure that you aren't serving the dollar. Dollars aren't an end to themselves. They are a means to an end. And if for you the dollars have become an end unto themselves, you are perhaps already a functioning member of First Church of Mammon or you are frighteningly close. I, let me ask you, if you lost everything, would God still be faithful? Is God faithful? If you look up tomorrow and you don't have anything, is God still faithful? God is not asking that we be careless. God is asking that we would get back to that place where we could understand that creation is good, good and very good, and that God loves us is involved, and keeps showing up. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? Really? No, God seems to have the keys where life is concerned. Can you buy your anxiety? And that's the word. I really wish it had been translated as anxiety. Can any of you, by your anxiety, really move the needle where life is concerned? No. In fact, sometimes in our anxiety, what we're really trying to do is move God off of the God spot. Moving ahead. Therefore, do not worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? So God has already said, look, the birds have something figured out that we don't have figured out. <laughs> And look, the flowers, they're dressed pretty well. Now we push back and we say, clothes make the man. You ever heard that one? Clothes make the man. Hear this. No, they do not. I was up all night thinking of that one. But imagine, imagine a world wherein that is true. What if clothes make the person? That is a dangerous world. That is a scary world. And some of you think that clothes make the man. Some of you think that cars make the man. Some of you think neighborhood Makes the man. Now, sometimes we say it, and it's a whole lot easier to, to swallow because we'll say it like this. Man, I got to get my kid into such and such a school because somehow we believe that that kid is going to be somehow sentenced to a particular life 
if that kid does not somehow get into such and such school? What if, go with me here, what if God is bigger than that? I mean, just what if? By the way, (laughs) the statistics don't bear that out, by the way. The statistics don't bear out that if you don't get in the right school, somehow you'll be... In fact, there are statistics now that demonstrate the opposite. You know, in other words, it may be that Christ actually knows more about life than we do. Maybe he's not just talking about a super spiritual, I'm not going to care about anything, um, um, kind of life. Maybe, maybe Christ and what Christ is saying to us here in the lines of the Sermon on the Mount, maybe Christ is demonstrating a better understanding of the nuts and bolts of life than we have when we use phrases like, clothes make the man. You see, it's the Gentiles, it's the non-believers, it's the outsiders, it's the people at First Church of Mammon who strive after all these things, and indeed your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things already. But y'all, and this is where, (laughs) it's it's, it's in there, you can't see it, but it really is in there. But y'all strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to y'all as well. And I put that in there because those pronouns in there, are plural, they're corporate. This is not an investment strategy for you, the individual consumer. What's being said is this. If you'll be my people, I will resource you to be my people, to carry the message. In other words, what God is saying to us now here in Matthew 6.33 is exactly the same message that God was giving to the people wandering around in the desert so many years ago. If you'll just trust me, if you'll just trust me. Again, I think there's a line that divides careless from carefree. And I think that line has something to do with your understanding of the mission of God. Not understanding the mission of God, you may hear this and say, well, then I don't have to work. I can be careless. I can be lazy. But if you understand the mission of God that God seeks to be embodied in God's people, then you will hear this. As we, as I, as a part of the we, as we commit ourselves to the purposes and the dream of God, God will resource God's people to be the carriers of the mission and the pushers of the kingdom. And that's the point. So don't worry, have anxiety about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. And many of us read that and go, phew, I am going to uh, not be able to not worry about tomorrow because it looks like here that I'm being promised some ugliness for tomorrow. But here's what's really being said. You'll find that God is enough for today. And by the way, tomorrow you'll find that God's enough then as well. Very interesting story. In Matthew chapter 14. Lots of people, very hungry people, come sit at Jesus' feet. The disciples, recognizing that they are hungry people, say, Jesus, we probably ought to shut this thing down. It's getting late. The people are getting hungry. Let's send them home. And Jesus said to them, well, why don't you give them something to eat? <laughs> I'll pause button again. Um, to pray that God will somehow make an impact where hunger is concerned in the world and yet not share your food is to, mis- is to misunderstand the heart of God and praying. And so Jesus says to them and to us, "Um, why don't you give them something to eat, duh? And they respond with, okay, we have five loaves and two fish. 
Now, are you familiar with this story? So you got to recognize here that this is the same Jesus. In fact, this Jesus is the same God of creation who makes and creates and provides, calls it good, makes and creates and provides and calls it good. By the time you get to the middle of the book of Genesis, you, you are under this deep impression that God is a generous God, <laughs> that God is generous and keeps on giving. Even when his people keep on squandering, God keeps on giving because God is a generous God. In fact, throughout the entirety of Scripture, if you're reading it, properly, you get this deep impression that God is a giving God and God hopes that God can so give that he can form a people who then will embody God's graciousness and givingness. <laughs> this Jesus is that God. When they claim scarcity, God says, that's okay, I'm the God of the kingdom of abundance. Bring me what you've got. Oh, it's a goosebump moment. Here, hear this. But God, we have little. God says, yeah, I know. I know how to count. But bring me what you have. It's okay because I'm the God of the kingdom of abundance. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, see if this sounds familiar at all. So taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, he blessed, and he broke the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, Verse 20, and all ate and were filled, and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full, one for each tribe. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. In other words, again, again. The people of God are given this great, great power. And with their great power, they can choose either the kingdom of scarcity or the kingdom of abundance. But listen to how powerful we are. If and when we choose scarcity, we have the capacity to create it. But when... We get back to that place where we can trust the king and the kingdom of abundance. Then we can bring what we've got. And then the king of abundance does what only the king of abundance can do and demonstrates that creation is still good, good, and very good. And that God loves us, shows up, and is involved in the detail of life. Listen, I am not sure that it does anybody any good to add another line on the list of sins. If you came into this service today and you feel exactly what I'm talking about, if you feel the sense of anxiety that there is not enough, even if you find yourself better labeled by a word like hoarding than generosity, here is the good news. God says, okay, bring me what you have and who you are. We'll practice. We'll practice. We'll practice the kingdom of, of abundance in a land that screams to the top of its lung myth of scarcity. We'll practice. And hopefully over a period of time, you'll get the distinct impression that there is an economy that functions here that may not look like the economy that functions out there.
There's enough. There's always enough. There's always enough. In fact, there's enough to share. If you are helping us, if you will come and make ready. Wow. Taken, blessed, broken, and given the bread, the fish, taken, blessed, broken, and given. So you see what Jesus does right there in Matthew 14? He does the Eucharist. He does it, yes, to feed people, but I think he does it also to grow the disciples, to move the disciples farther and farther away from the kingdom of scarcity and farther into the kingdom of abundance. We do this as often as we do it for all kinds of reasons, but one of the important reasons we do this is to move all of us, your pastor included, farther and farther away from the kingdom of scarcity and farther into the kingdom of abundance. You'll notice, right, that just like the bread and the fish are taken, blessed, broken, and given, we will, with this bread, take, bless, break, and give in the hopes that you and I, even outside of this room, can be, you know what's coming, right? Taken and blessed and broken and given. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And God, use them to nourish us to be people who have just enough imagination to consider that there can be a myth called scarcity. Nourish us by these elements to be just strong and courageous enough to admit, to confess, that we at times do in fact worship at the altar at the first church of mammon. God, nourish us by these elements and give us just enough grace to know that even if we have been card-carrying members of the church of mammon, that you have made room for us in the kingdom of abundance. Give us the grace to be able to come and approach this table knowing exactly who we are, knowing that you know exactly who we are. God, strengthen us by these elements to have the humility to receive the forgiveness that is offered here. A forgiveness that relieves us the baggage of the past and opens up before us a new day. So in other words, God, we need you to do something good and special and lasting with broken bread shared cup. May we see that we are participating right now in a different kind of economy. And may we take what we've learned here today move back into our homes, our places of work. And we go back out into the world to a restaurant perhaps even later today recognizing the power and possibility of being members of the kingdom of abundance. across the sanctuary. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and exit your pew to the left. If you'll exit your pew to the left and then come forward, you'll be walking towards somebody holding bread and cup. Now, here is the hand posture of the kingdom of abundance. We receive as if it's a gift because it is. If for some reason you come out with your wallet out ready to pay for this, we'll ask you to put it away and wait to give you this gift until you've put the weapons of the other economy away. Because this, you can't buy. You can only receive. And when you receive that little bit of bread, 
that person will say to you, the body of Christ broken for you. Take and dip it right then and there into the cup. That person will say, the blood of Christ shed for you. Take and eat right then and there, and then come and find a place to pray. If you're an anxious sort of person, I hope that you will find some place to pray today. I'm going to. And you can find that place to pray here or perhaps back at your seat. But I hope you'll find a place to pray. If you're in need of a prayer for healing of any kind, these side padded altars will be reserved for prayers for healing. If you cannot come to us or come forward, then Jason will find you. Just sort of make sure that he sees you and he'll come and find you. Otherwise, all who are aware of their need for this kind of grace are welcome at this table. So if you're aware of your need across the sanctuary, if you'll stand and exit your pew to the left, come forward and receive that which you cannot pay for.
stop this dreaming of a better world. May we never stop believing in the impossible. I'd like to give you time and I'd like to have the time myself to give voice to the anxiety that we've talked about today. The anxiety that comes when we find ourselves too embedded in the myth of scarcity. So now would you take that time and tell God if where you are right now you're not sure there's enough Tell God. What is it that you lack? Tell him. Complain. God's big. Complain all you want. But tell God what it is that scares you now. God might mean where you're concerned as God says to you and to me to us bring me what you have in your prayer explore ask what might it mean God what might it look like for me to bring you what I have we do want to be your people. It's just, just that sometimes we are in fact intimidated 
by the voices who constantly scream about the myth of scarcity. There is this place in our hearts where we really do want to be your people, the people of God, and sometimes yet we're, we're intoxicated by the images that shape our desires and our appetites. So we come to you today intimidated and intoxicated. <laughs> Recognizing at the end of the day, you're our best hope. So remind us again, God. Remind us again that you are a faithful, loving God who for thousands of years has demonstrated your passion for us, your willingness to show up, your willingness to take us back even when we have worshiped somewhere else. Remind us of that love and of that grace and unlock our capacity, God, to not just pray these words to this very strange prayer, but unlock our capacity to more and more embody these strange words. So church, I want to invite you to pray this prayer along with me and consider the words, consider all that we are committing ourselves to, recognizing that God is moving us a little bit at a time. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Like us on Facebook at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene. Or follow us on Twitter at OKC First Church.